Acts chapter 13, uh, verse 38 through 44. Uh, this is a part of a, a larger sermon. I'm not going to read the whole sermon. Uh, I know I, we kind of read the whole passage this morning. Um, but uh, Barnabas and Paul are in Antioch of Pisidia. They come to a synagogue, which is a Jewish. Uh, you're going you're gonna to realize uh, or you're going to probably notice that this sermon is, is very much uh, distinctly uh, geared toward a Jewish audience, uses lots of the Old Testament, uh, whereas this morning's sermon was very geared toward someone who's not Jewish. You know, lots of, of you know, um, points about creation and a creator God and a God who's moving and active in our world. And uh, so anyway, they're, they're, at, they're at a synagogue. Uh, they begin to kind of go through the history of God's people from Abraham to David and to, uh, to moving into who Jesus is as the Messiah. And I'm going to start reading in verse 38. And we'll kind of back up here in a little bit and kind of pick up some other pieces of the sermon. But in verse 38, 38 and 40 are really the key ones, 38 and 39. He says, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, okay, this man is Jesus. Through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, Everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I'm doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. We heard that this morning, didn't we? Uh, same, same message that, that Paul gave to the, the folks in Lystra, to continue in the faith, continue in the grace of God. Verse 44 says, The next Sabbath almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Father, I ask you to, to show us the beauty of the gospel tonight. Father, that's our prayer, that by the Holy Spirit you would show us how, how exciting, how glorious, and how good the gospel is. Father, I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. What I'd like to do tonight is just really talk to you about uh, the gospel. Talk to you about what it means to be forgiven in Jesus Christ. Now, I know what you, some of you might be thinking. You might be thinking, man, Pastor, this is Sunday night, you know. Sunday night is much smaller crowds, really kind of the core, and, and you know, kids going to Falls Creek. And, and you know, that would have been a better message for this morning when we had three different services and, and lots more people coming. And instead, I, I really spoke this morning uh, almost to, to, to the church in, in continuing in the faith and not, not giving up, not pulling away, not falling away. But but really, here's what I here's what I want you to see. The gospel is for believers. Okay, you've heard me say that before. And it's not just that the gospel is for people that don't know Christ yet. The gospel is for believers, and and, and it's essential that as believers we are excited about the gospel. We see the beauty of the gospel. We see that the gospel is is genuinely and truly good news. Okay, throughout the Bible, every time you hear the the Bible talking and describing the gospel, it's always a message that. Brings brings joy. Okay? It's always a message that, that is described as good news. The, the very word gospel means good news. That's what that means in Greek, euangelion. It means the good news. Okay? And so believers who know the gospel should see it as it is, as a, the most exciting message in all the world, a message that brings joy, a message that, 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 that is good news, and a message that we are really excited about telling other people about. Okay? That's how believers should see the gospel. And so many times the church doesn't act that way, and so it's really refreshing to see a passage of scripture that really just just glaringly shows what an incredible message the gospel is. Now I want you to notice what happens here. Paul and Barnabas share the good news about just the forgiveness of Jesus through 
uh, forgiveness uh, of our sins through the man Jesus Christ. And notice how the people respond here, okay? Now notice what happens here. Um, In verse 42, it says, As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath, okay? I bet it's been a long time since you begged anybody for anything, probably. Hasn't it? I mean, that's probably not something you do very much. I mean, you probably don't, you probably don't beg. I mean, it's very seldom that we, we, we really beg people for something. So that, that's a serious word, you know, to, to plead earnestly and just, just, oh, come on, please. I mean, can you imagine and, and apply that to a sermon, to a message, you know? I mean, can, can you imagine people leaving here and just pleading, oh, please, man, please come back next week and tell us that again? I mean, that's every preacher's dream, all right? I don't know that it ever, it ever happens very much, but I mean, here these people are so excited about the gospel that they just heard that they are pleading, they are begging to hear it again. Verse 43 says, after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them, there's another one of those words, urged them to continue in the grace of God. So, so you got these people begging, please, please come back next week. We got to hear this again. You got people following them in a parking lot. You know, they're going out to their car. They didn't have cars, but wherever they're going, they're going out to their car and, and, and there's a, this mob of people behind them just asking them questions. Give us more. Tell us more about this. All right. Look at what it says in verse 44. The next Sunday, the next Sabbath, okay, the next day of worship would have been Saturday, but the next day of worship, almost the whole city gathers to hear the word of the Lord. Okay. That's incredible, isn't it? I mean, Paul and Barnabas talk about the forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ. People are begging them to come back, tell it again, let us hear it again. They're following them to the parking lot. Man, we got to hear this message. They're, 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 the whole town is showing up the next Sunday. All right. Now, listen, I really believe that's an accurate way that we ought to see the gospel. We ought to see the gospel that way. Uh, we, ought to, we ought to think of the gospel in, in, in the way that they heard and thought of the gospel. You know, one of the things about the gospel is, is really to people who embrace it, it changes everything, all right? It's not just this, this little spiritual department of your life. A lot of people look at it that way. Is okay, this, this, this has to do with heaven and hell, but man, tomorrow I got to go to work, you know? And so I, I can't think about that anymore because I got to go to work tomorrow and I, I need stuff for my work and, and I got this troubled marriage that, that I got to try to work on and... And so really the gospel is kind of left back in this little category that's okay. Are you going to heaven or hell? Man, that is, that is so wrong, okay? The gospel affects every area of our life. We as believers should be gospel-centered people. You know what I told the guys in, in Man Up on Wednesday night? I told them, I said, guys, look, we, we could talk, and we did talk about communication, about listening to your wife, about understanding your wife, about helping her spiritually, leading her spiritually. We talked about all those things. But, but here's, here's where we came down. The most important thing a guy needs to know about his marriage is to apply the gospel to your marriage. Man, uh, that's a powerful thing for a person who's embraced the forgiveness of Christ. Here's what I told him. You know what happens when I sin? When I sin, the Holy Spirit convicts me of that. There's an immediate, man, why did you do that? I don't want to live that way. That's breaking God's law. And and immediately I take that sin and I go to Jesus, okay, who who is my substitute, who is my advocate, who is my savior, who died for my sins. And I place my sins on the cross. Isn't this what you do? Okay, you place your sins on the cross. You, you ask Jesus to forgive you of those sins. And then you believe what the Bible says, that if, any, if, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
righteousness, right? So you take your sins to the cross, and then you're able to walk away from there knowing that you, you bear that sin no more. That, that, that as far as the east is from the west, so God has taken away your sins, and you don't have to carry it, and you aren't guilty of it anymore, and you can go forward in your life in the power of God, knowing you're in a right relationship with God. I mean, that, that's the power of the gospel. Now, now, here's the thing. If I can do that for my sins, can't I do that for Emma's sins? Now, I can't come for her, for my wife, seeking her forgiveness, but, but her sins against me. Can I do that? Can I do that with my kids and their sins against me? Can, can I appropriate the gospel to them so, so that I take their sins to the cross, so that I trust Jesus to, to handle that and to take care of that, and, and that I don't have to carry that load anymore? I mean, the gospel applies to every area of life. You know why you ought to forgive? You know, think about your relationships, not just your wife or your kids, but all your relationships. You know, you know why a Christian forgives? He forgives because of the gospel. Over and over in the New Testament, it says that, that we are to forgive because Jesus has forgiven us. We're to take the incredible cleansing of Jesus Christ into our own lives and we're to apply that to other people where we are able to forgive because Jesus has forgiven us. And so the gospel is, is, is the foundation of new relationships with everybody. Our obedience flows out of the gospel. We obey Jesus because of the righteousness of Christ in us, because of the promises of God for us, because of the Holy Spirit's power flowing through us and giving us what we need to do that. Our joy is rooted in the gospel, rejoicing and having a right relationship with God, what God's going to do in our life, how he's going to take care of us, how he's going to meet every need of ours. Folks, every area of our life is rooted and grounded. It's built in to this gospel message. And and so really the way these guys responded is a lot more appropriate than many ways, many of the ways we respond to the gospel today. You know, I mean, we, we, it shouldn't be a yawn thing. It shouldn't be, well, you know, I'm already past that. You know, I went to Falls Creek when I was 15. I got saved. And, you know, now, now I'm just looking for, you know, other stuff. You know, there is, you know, that, that is the thing. It's the gospel, okay? And, and we, sh- we should respond to it as they did here in, in, in Antioch, okay? The gospel is life-changing. And we had a hunger for the gospel. We had to be deeply satisfied by the gospel. Now, the message of forgiveness for our sins is only an exciting message if, here's a couple things, okay? This is going to affect how, how, how you hear the gospel, okay? Number one, are you convinced of your need for forgiveness, okay? And, and I believe there's different degrees of that. I don't, I, don't, I don't think that's either a yes or a no. I don't, I don't think you answer that of, yes, I'm convinced I need the gospel, or no, I don't. I'm not convinced I need forgiveness, okay? Do, you, do I need forgiveness? Do I not need forgiveness? I, I think there are some people out there that say, no, I don't need forgiveness. I've met them. Uh, I've talked to people that say, I don't have any sin, uh, I don't sin. I'm, I'm a good person. I'm right. Okay. There's a few of those. Most of you would say, oh yeah, I, I know I'm, I'm a sinner and I, I know, I know that's true and I know I need forgiveness. Okay. But there's varying degrees of that. Okay. There, there's some people way over here on this end of the spectrum that would say, yeah, I, I'm, I've done a few things. I know I'm not, I've done things I shouldn't have done, you know, but I, I bet God kind of understands, but I do need his forgiveness. Okay. Then, then there's all the way, there's degrees all the way along to, to the person over here that says, man, I can't take another breath unless I know I'm forgiven. The weight of my sins is coming down on me and eternity in hell just, just scares me to the point where I desperately need to know that I am forgiven, okay? And so where you're at on that line, where you're at on that line is going to greatly affect how you hear the gospel message. So are you, are you convinced of your need for forgiveness? for forgiveness, are you convinced of your inability to attain it on your own? Okay, you see, there's some people that really kind of believe, you know what, I, I, I can kind of work my way into heaven. You know, I, I can help myself. 
I can, I can do some good things and I can be a good person and God's going to put all my good things on this side and put all my bad things on this side. And I've done quite a few good ones. And so I just might need a little bit of help from him, you know, to kind of get over the top. Okay, if you believe that, which that's a lie, by the way. Uh, if you believe that, you're, you're not going to be convinced of your need for the gospel. So are you convinced of your need for forgiveness? Are you convinced of your inability to attain it on your own? Are you convinced of the severe consequences of being unforgiven? Okay? You see, how sweet the gospel is to you, though, it's affected by those things. Okay? If I had a vial of rattlesnake venom right now, I had it up here, and I said, all right, who wants it? It's going to the highest bidder. Okay? Some of you, probably nobody would bid. The only person that would bid is Robin. And, and, and the reason Robin would bid is because he buys all kinds of weird stuff. You know, I don't know if you know Robin, but I mean, he really does. I'm convinced Robin would say, I'd like to have that, you know, for I don't know what, but he'd like, you know, but the rest of you would probably think, rattlesnake, why would I want rattlesnake venom? You know, anti-venom. I, I don't need any anti-venom. I don't need, you know, I, I don't need that, okay? But if you got bitten by a rattlesnake on the way in and you're in great need of some, some anti-venom, okay, you might say, yes, I really need that. Uh, I'm going to die without it. I'm in, I'm in peril here, okay? So depending on how you see your own condition, it's going to depend on what you think of the gospel. Let's talk about our own condition. What does sin do to us, okay? What does sin do to us? Well, um, first of all, it makes a separation between us and God. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18. Listen to this. It says, Talking of sinners, they are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God. You know what it means to be alienated? It means you're you're out. You're alien. You're out. You're not in. Okay. You're you're separated. You can't get in. You know. There's no access for you to the life of God. Our our sin makes us, and this is really hard for us to understand. Um, we we are we are taught that God loves us, and that is exactly right. Uh, the Bible is very clear about that. Um, but some people take that truth and forget the other truth that we have made ourselves an enemy of God. Um, now, now, God loves us. True, yes. But we have said we don't want that and we are going to act in a way that puts us at odds with you. Okay? Romans chapter 5 verse 10 says, If while we were enemies, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more... Now that we're reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? You notice how, how he describes us as sinners. He describes us as enemies of God. Man, some of you would probably say, I don't have any enemies. That would be awesome. I'm, some of you might name somebody, you know. Hopefully you wouldn't point across the room. That would be embarrassing in church, you know. But, but an enemy is someone you're at odds with. You know, it's someone you can't fellowship with. You can't sit down with. You can't, you can't have a meal together. You know, you, you can't work together. You can't. You can't get along because there's this huge thing. Usually usually what makes an enemy is some kind of offense, right? Some kind of thing that, that happened or was done that's really put two people or two families at odds with one another. Well, the Bible says that because of your sin, you are enemies with God. Romans 1 tells us that our sin, um, our sin communicates to God that we don't want Him. Okay, that, That's what sin says to God. Sin says to God, we, we, we are not interested in you. We're not interested in your glory. We're really just not interested in, in anything you have. We're really bored with you, you know? I mean, we don't want to go to hell, but, but that's about it. But, and really, that's, that's, that's the perception. That, that's the, the way most people live out their life, is I'm not interested in the things of God. I'm not interested in the Bible. I'm not interested in church. I'm not interested in truths of God. I'm just not interested in any of that. 
You know, I mean, I mean that, that's what we're telling God as sinners. And, and I did that for 18 years. I said, God, I'm not interested in you. You, you, really, I, you, don't, you don't have anything that captivates me. That, that, that's because of our sin. Our sin tells God we don't trust you. You know, we, we, we hear what your Bible says. We hear what your word says. But really, we don't trust you. You know, when we hear it, we're, we're not, I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to obey that. Because I'm not, I, I'm not convinced that you know what's best for me. Our sin tells God that we want him out of our life, that we don't believe that, that he knows what he's talking about, that we don't think he's glorious. Sin is a breaking of God's law. God, God has certain moral laws. This is the way the world runs. God has a kingdom and you're, 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 you're living under his, his reign. And, and when you don't live according to the king, then you're breaking the rules of the kingdom. Uh, sin is a harming of people. Whenever you sin against somebody, you're, you're harming, you're sinning against one of God's children. Well, a person made in the image of God. Sin is a polluting of God's world. And folks, all of those things are offensive to God. They hinder us from having a relationship with the almighty creator of the universe. What, what, what that says is you, you can't work with God. Okay, if I go back to my illustration this morning, Emma and that travel company, they, they can't work together. Uh, they, they just can't, they can't get along. There, there, there's no friendship between them. You know why? Because there's been a, an offense that's happened that has not been taken care of. Right? Uh, Emma tried, she reached out, they wouldn't respond. There, there's an offense, there's a price, there's, in Emma's mind at least, there's something that's been broken, a trust has been broken. Okay, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt, honey, you know? And, and so they can't work together. Hey, listen, same way with you and God. Same way with the sinner and God. There, there, there's an offense between us and, and, and it breaks the relationship. And so our sin, our sin fills the space between us and God. You know, and, and, and so we can't, we can't be with God. We can't hang around with God. We, we, we can't receive. We can't be in fellowship. We, we, can't, we can't get his mercy, his grace, his goodness. It cuts us off from God. Sin cuts us off from, from the hope of God and, and the power of God and the glory of God. Okay? So that, that's our condition. All right? Now, the work of Jesus not only brings us forgiveness, but it also brings us freedom or justification from sins. Let me read our passage again. Verse 38. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Okay? So, so first of all, Paul compares the forgiveness of Christ to people trying to be right with God through the law. Okay? Now, now what he's talking about is, is again, Jews or, or the nation of Israel who, who at this time were convinced that they could be right with God through obeying the commandments, okay? Not just the Ten Commandments, but like all the commandments of the Old Testament and just, you know, trying basically to get more right than you got wrong, I guess. And, and you know what? Nothing has changed. It's really interesting to me. Nothing's changed in thousands of years. The predominant religion, if you walk out our doors and go into our neighborhoods and go into our cities and go into our states and go into our world, the, pro- the predominant religion of people is simply this. I'm, I'm a good person. I'm going to try my best. I'm going to do good things. And God's going to be pleased with me. Okay? That, that's the law. Isn't, isn't that amazing that things just don't change? I mean, that's, that's still what people are trying to to count on for their righteousness is trying to do good things, okay? But here's what Paul says. The law can never free us from sin. It, it just can't do it. The law can't free us from the desire to sin or from the slavery of sin or from the addictive nature of sin or from the penalty of sin. Really, what, what, what Romans says is that the law only reminds us of our failure to keep sin. I mean, that, that's all it really does. Romans chapter 3, verse 28 
says this, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Apart from the works of the law. Uh, we, we cannot be saved by the law. Now, now, why can't we be saved by the law? I mean, why can't we just tell people, look, these are the good things you ought to do. And then people go out and do them and, and then we'll be good, right? Why, why, why does that work? Well, let me, let me give you some reasons why that doesn't work. For one thing, that does nothing for the sins we've already committed. Okay, right? So let's say, first of all, it's not even possible. We'll talk about that in a second. But let's say it was possible. Let's say it was possible that, that, you know, for the next hour and a half, we just go through the Bible real quick and we just name off, you know, every law that we can think of, every standard of God. Here's God's standard of righteousness. Here's how you ought to treat each other, how you ought to treat your wife, how you ought to treat your kids, uh, how you ought to think, how you ought to act, how you ought to be grateful, uh, what ought to go through your mind. You know, what if we just, uh, you know, just God's standard all the way across. And we all said, okay, are we all good? All right, we're all good. Let's go. And, and we went out and let's say, let's say we, we all kept them perfectly from now till our death. Now, really, the only way that would work is that if we all like kept one real quick, like as we got up and we were leaving and then we all died real quick, you know? Okay. So let's say, let's say that that happened. All right. So we all get up and, and for, for just one second, every one of us has this just completely righteous thoughts and completely righteous actions toward one another. We have love in our heart toward everybody in the room and, and everybody we know, and we're completely forgiving to And we, we just completely righteous for one second, bam, you know, uh, uh, 747 falls out of the sky, you know, pilot loses control, crashes into the church, we all die. Are we okay? Well, we're not okay because even though we were righteous for that one second, what about all the sins we've already committed? What are we going to do about those? You see, we can't make up for them. And even if we lived a long time and did it right for the rest of our lives, what what are we going to do about all the sins we've already committed? You you see, we've got no way to atone for those. You know, here's what doesn't work. If if you're going 85 miles an hour and a 65 and the highway patrol pulls you over and, and gives you a fine, here's what doesn't work. What doesn't work is saying, officer, you don't need to give me a fine because from now on, from this point on, I'm going to drive the speed limit. Okay? Now... Even if he believes you, you still get a fine, don't you? Because you know what driving sixty-five, driving the speed limit from now on is? Obeying the law. It's what you're supposed to do in the first place, right? And so it doesn't help you for your, your past sins. Okay? You're expected. You're expected from now on to obey the law. Okay? So, so, so obeying the law can't do anything about our past sins. But not only that, but we can't obey the law because we are internally broken. Okay, part of what it means to be a sin, a sinner, is that is that we're a son of Adam, and we're tainted with what's called original sin. And here's what true, what's true about us: we don't see God as we ought to see Him, we don't love God as we ought to love Him, we don't value God as we ought to value Him, we don't trust God as we ought to trust Him, and that's why we all keep sinning. Okay, so the law doesn't help us in that, right? For me, for me to tell you, you ought to love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, if you put that on an index card and, and you just hold it up, love your neighbor yourself, you know, everywhere you go, you just hold it up. You know, your, your shoulder gets really strong because you're holding up right there where you can see it all the time. Does that, is that the answer? Does that, does that make you love your neighbor? You know, you go to work tomorrow and your boss just says something really cruel to you and just, you know, does that card right there, does that, that keep your heart pure and righteous? Probably not, actually. Probably not. That probably doesn't do it, okay? Just being reminded of the law doesn't, doesn't have any power to, to enable you to obey the law. You know, it's kind of like, like yelling at a crippled man to get up and walk, you know? 
I mean, you're telling him the right thing. And you might even show him, you know, you might even say, walk, man, walk like this. Look, right like that. You see, this is it. Walk, you know. But he's, he's got a problem. He's broken. We, we have a problem. We're broken. And doesn't that explain so much of life? I'm going to talk to the students at Falls Creek about this tomorrow night. Doesn't that explain so much of life? Just realizing that we're all sinners. Doesn't that explain a lot of your family dynamic? Doesn't that explain... A lot of what goes on in your heart. Well, I was going. It does, doesn't it? I mean, just it's helpful just to realize that we're we're sinners. And so, here's the gospel. Okay, the gospel is the law shows you your sin, but it, it can't it can't bring forgiveness and it can't help you get out of sin. But look at what the gospel is. Let, verse thirty eight. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through very important words, this man. Through this man. Who is this man? Jesus is this man. Through this man. Through Jesus. Not the law. Not not through Jesus, okay? This man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything. So you see, the gospel is is a great shift in in showing us, no, no, no. No, turn away. Turn away from trying trying to justify yourself and turn to the person of Jesus Christ. If we were to go through this message uh, that that Paul preaches here, we don't really have time, but in in verse 38, uh, you know, he says forgiveness is through this man. If you go up to verse 36, he, he, he compares him to David. He compares Jesus to David. He says, for David, after he had served his purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid in his fa- with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up, that's Jesus, did not see corruption. Okay, so what, basically what Paul does, and you find it again in, with John the Baptist earlier in this passage. Uh, where's that at? That's in verse 24 and 25. Uh, before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, John said, what do you suppose that I am? I'm not he, I'm not Jesus. No, but behold, after me one is coming, that's Jesus, the sandals of whose feet I'm not worthy to untie. And so, so basically Paul goes through and he just shows the superiority of Jesus. Jesus is glorious. He's better than David. Okay, to tell a Jew Jesus is better than David, that's a big thing. Because King David, you know, is, is tops in their book, all right? He, he's the king. King, all right. And, and so Paul is saying, you know, look to Jesus who is better than David. All right. Jesus, David died and, and they laid him in a tomb and, you know, that's it for David. OK, but Jesus, they laid in the tomb. Three days later, he comes out of the tomb, resurrected in the power of God. Jesus is the sick king. He is the savior. He's a man who died but didn't see corruption. He's a man who faced death victoriously. He is savior. He is the son of God. And it's exciting to have Jesus to be connected to Jesus. Jesus in your life. That's the gospel. The gospel is by faith being connected to Jesus. Notice what 1 John says about that. 1 John says this. It says in uh, chapter 2, verse 1, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We have an advocate. You see, Jesus is our advocate. He, he's, he's the one who stands in for us. An advocate is like a lawyer. You know, when, you, when you've been accused of something terrible and you're there in the, in, the, in the judgment seat and the judge is there and the jury's there, you know, what you want is you want an advocate, one who's going to come up. He's going to stand before you in, in your place, on your behalf, and he's going to fix things, all right? That's what you want, right? Jesus is that person. You know, if you ever find yourself in, in situations where you feel so helpless, you just need someone with connections to intervene for you. Have you ever been in a situation like that? We had a lady in our church this week, and uh, uh, she wouldn't mind me telling you this, but she, um, 
she, she had gone on vacation and they'd come back and they had this plan to bring her daughter back uh, by plane with her other daughter. Well, one of her daughters is, is like 8 or 9 or 10 or something like that, and the other daughter is 15. You can't fly by yourself anymore. I didn't know this because Emma used to do it all the time when she was a kid. But anyway, anyway, you can't fly by yourself anymore unless you're with someone who's 16, I believe it is. And so anyway, on this airline, so she can't get her daughter back, you know. And so she's really in this, yeah, ah, trying to, you know, figure this thing out. And on the phone, like all day with the airlines, you know what she desperately wanted? If she could have had an advocate with the airlines, you know, wouldn't that have been great if she would have known the president of that airline and been able to call him and say, look, here's my situation. I cannot help myself. I need you to fix this. Okay, that's what Jesus is. Jesus is the one who stands for us with the Father, who, who, who intercedes for us with the Father. Many of you know Wade Burleson. Wade Burleson is the uh, pastor in Emmanuel Enid. You, you know who I'm talking about? Wade Burleson went on a, on a carnival, I think it was a carnival cruise, went on a cruise to, to Cozumel. He gets over there, he rents a car, he drops off his family at the beach, he's driving back to, to get something, and, and there's like a mix-up in the lanes, the traffic lanes, and he hits a motorcycle. And these, these two guys get their legs broke. He, he, he does the right thing. He, they call the police. He's trying to, you know, minister to them. They're okay, they, but they want, I think they both had like broken legs or something like that. Well, long story short, they don't get this thing settled before the appropriate time, uh, before the tourist police can get it settled. And the Mexican police come in. Before you know it, Wade is chained to a, a, a serious criminal in a Mexican prison, all right? And the boat has left, all right? You know what, Wade, it's a great story. You can read it online. Uh, that guy actually comes to Christ that he's chained to. But you know what Wade desperately needed? He needed an advocate, didn't he? Uh, he needed someone in, in Mexico who could intervene, intercede on his behalf. Folks, that's what Jesus is. That's, that's the gospel of Jesus, is him interceding, intervening on our behalf. Okay, and that's what we find in the gospel. Now, let me hurry through this. The, the, the law couldn't do nothing to fix our internal brokenness, but being connected to Jesus fixes our brokenness. All right, let me, let me read you some passages there. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, it says, uh, For those in the gospel, we can put off our old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed by the spirit of your minds, and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Ezekiel chapter 36 talks about putting in a, having a new heart and a new mind through Christ. Faith in the person of Jesus and the power of Christ equips us to obey, okay? Not only takes care of our past sin, but it enables us to live righteously. Okay, the law, let me give you an example. The law said don't covet, right? That's the 10th commandment. You guys know the 10 commandments? The law says do not covet, all right? Now, is, is, the thing about that is that shows us where we go wrong. It doesn't enable us to do right, all right? Don't covet. Well, man, what, how, how, are you, how are you supposed to do that? You only, you only obey that. You only begin to live that righteously when you're connected with Jesus and you grab on to Jesus. You grab on to what he said. Jesus said in Matthew 6, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. In other words, I'm going to take care of you. You seek the kingdom, I'm going to take care of you. Philippians 4, 19, he says, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. John 6, 35 says, I'm the, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. In other words, faith in Christ not only forgives us from past sin because it connects us to Jesus who stands before the Father for us, but it enables us to live in a new way, a different way, okay? There's still some consequences for sin. Uh, we know that, right? Um, if you, you mess up your life, 
on, on this, in this life, there's still some consequences for that. But here's the great thing. Faith in Jesus enables us to live through, to walk through those consequences. So what do we have here? Acts chapter 13, we've got people who hear the gospel. Their eyes are open to it. And man, they, they are so incredibly excited. Why? Because they get the message. They get how broken they are. They get their sin. They, they understand. They've got, they got no other way to be righteous except through Jesus. But we need to be fair. There's other people in here who hear the gospel. They don't get any of that. Look at verse 41. Verse 40. 40. Verse 40 says, beware. That's a serious word. Beware. Okay? In other words, man, you, man, here's a warning, okay? Beware. Lest what is said in the prophets should come about. And here, here's the prophetic word. Look, you scoffers. Be astounded. Here's sad. It's a sad, sad phrase. And perish. For I'm doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells you. And so the Old Testament predicted that there would be people who, even when they hear the gospel, even when it's explained to them, even when they see it clearly, they don't believe. And by don't believe, they don't cherish it. They don't treasure it. It's not significant. They're over here on the continuum. The people are like, okay, great, big deal. Folks, the gospel is the most glorious message in all the universe. We ought never get over the wow of the gospel. It's life. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for uh, your goodness to us. Uh, God, I thank you for the gospel. I thank you, Jesus, for, for the forgiveness of sins that comes through the work of Jesus. Uh, God, there's no other way, God, for us to be forgiven. There's no other way for us to to be right with you. And I thank you that you have provided a way for us to be forgiven through the gospel. And Father, I pray that that it would be a a sweet message to us. Uh, It would be an exciting message to us. Father, I pray uh, again for our students as they they leave for a week of of just thinking about and, and hearing every night the gospel. Lord, make it clear to them. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, would you stand? And we're going we're gonna to be quick with our invitation. Jim, let's just sing one verse. We've got folks that are here for a meeting. And so let's sing one verse, and this will be our, our closing uh, verse together. And uh, then we'll have a False Creek meeting. So what are we going to sing? 294. Page 294. Let's sing together.